The problem was that money could be sitting in my account for a year before I found the next juicy real estate deal. So I'm like, instead of having that money sit idle, let me establish a stock portfolio that I could borrow against. Let me diversify with crypto because the more I got educated on crypto and the more I read up on it, the more I'm like, this is, this is my home run type of play. I see that as way more risky and I see my real estate as consistent, cash flowing. It's going to pay me every month. It ain't going away. And I'm also, I also take in consideration my age, right? Like I'm, I could afford that risk, right? It's not like I'm older. So Zoe's thinking of the value of the dollar. You know, I could buy this shirt or I could invest it here and have more tomorrow. Welcome millionaires and future millionaires. You're listening to the Millionaires Unveiled podcast, the show where you'll hear the stories and interviews of everyday millionaires. We'll unveil their decisions, their strategies, and their portfolio allocation. Now to your host, Jace Mattinson. Welcome back to another episode of the Millionaires and Build Podcast. This is episode 329. Stace, how are you doing? I'm doing great. It's Thanksgiving week and I am pumped to see my whole family together for the first time in four and a half years. Yeah, it's going to be great and uh, happy Thanksgiving to everybody out there in uh, the United States. It's going to be a great week. Hope everybody eats lots of turkey. And if you're in Texas like we are, it's brisket, baby. Super excited for that. Went and picked up that Franklin uh, this weekend. So I'm going to have some some Franklin brisket. Today, before we get into all the housekeeping, actually, let's do housekeeping first real quick. If you'd like to be on the show, if you hadn't heard your story, send us an email, millionairesunveiled at gmail.com. Always looking for new, great guests, interesting stories. If you haven't heard of your profession, hey, yeah, we still had somebody write in. They're like, oh, we haven't heard about a professional athlete yet. I'm like, oh, well, you're right. We have not. So one of these days, maybe we'll get a professional athlete on or, you know, news anchors. I haven't had any of them on either. There's a bunch of professions out there that we haven't. And I've got a big list. But at any rate, if you haven't heard your story, your profession, even if you have, send us an email, millionairesinvelvet.gmail.com. We'd love to have you on, on the show. Got a couple great reviews last week from... Uh, the anniversary episode. Appreciate all those that wrote in and congratulated us. It is quite the milestone, uh, given that, you know, I guess six years ago was even before my first child was born. So this thing's older than any of my kids. First baby. Yep. The first baby. Also, if you haven't left a review, please do so. It helps us continue to grow the show. If you've gotten any value out of the show, we would love to have you write us a review. So today on today's episode, Stace, we've got Lucas. This was a cool interview. Pretty wild. I mean, this guy drives a Rolls Royce, a Range Rover. He's got a bunch of money in crypto, a bunch of money in real estate. He's got some money in the market. He lives a pretty carefree life. I mean, he was dropping like, what he say, 30 grand on going and hanging out with Drake in a party or something. I mean, probably one of the most interesting, and he's, and he's really young, interesting interviews uh, as a millionaire and unconventional in a lot of ways than we've ever ever had. Uh, his parents, I believe, were immigrants. So he's, you know, he's a Brazilian immigrant. So the speaker's parents were. And yeah, just an all-around good dude. Good, good, good dude. So uh, yeah, he's got a pretty pretty diversified portfolio, actually. He's worth about 
Uh, he's got a good chunk in crypto, which we get into, which is pretty interesting because he, and I think crypto has fallen off the map for a lot of people, but he has been buying and and continues to buy crypto and has for a while. He's got about half a million in there and then uh, some real estate. And he works as, an, as a real estate agent as well and uh, lives in the Northwest in a pretty high cost of living area. So without any further delay, let's get into the interview with Lucas. Lucas, do you want to just give us a little about your background and what you're up to now? Yeah. Um, so let's see. Uh, I'm a real estate guy. I've been in real estate for about eight years now. Uh, we're, we were voted the number one Seattle team in Seattle. We're doing a little over 130 transactions a year. During my real estate career, I got started investing in real estate. And throughout my career, I've been you know nibbling stocks and crypto and other asset classes. Uh, so yeah, that's a little bit about me. Good deal. And I want to get into the career and the trajectory and everything that you've done and built over the last eight plus years. But before we do, what's your net worth today? Uh, I'm a, probably around 2.3, 2.4 million. Okay. And how is that broken up? So I have, geez. Okay. So probably I got about $250,000 in stocks that's outside of a Roth or it's just an individual stock account. In my Roth, I probably have Roth between Roth and a SEP in retirement accounts, about $100,000 there. I probably have close to half a million in crypto, um, spread out some on Coinbase, some in cold storage. And then the majority of my wealth is probably in real estate. I probably have, I don't know, anywhere from $1.7 to $2 million in equity tied up in, in apartment buildings that are located in Clarksville, Tennessee. I'm also a LP on a 96-unit portfolio in Chicago. So mainly real estate, uh, some stocks, some crypto. Then I have other weird things like watches that are kind of valuable and some cars that you know are a little bit pricey, but and some cash. So. Good deal, man. We got quite the spectrum here. I want to I want to take a, a deep dive on on some of these, but before we get into the real estate and some of these other ancillary uh, assets, let's take a dive in, into the stocks real quick. So, do you buy individual stocks then as part of kind of a brokerage account? So I used to. Um, over the last year, you know, I, it's funny because everyone looks like a genius when the market is running up, and I made a killing when the stock. I just timed it perfectly. When COVID happened, I was out. When it hit, I got back in pretty heavily, and then the market started coming down, and I. Really realized I don't want to keep track of these stocks. So I have a good friend who's a wealth advisor and basically I'm mostly index funds. And I set up an account with him because I'm able to borrow through that stock portfolio at the prime rate because we have an existing relationship. So I parked, you know, that portfolio there. I still play around with like 20, 25 K where I kind of pick stocks that, you know, I claim to be a genius on, but I'm really not. And yeah, that's that's kind of how my my stock portfolio is set up now. So I got a guy that at Wells Fargo that basically um oversees it. So he oversees it, but you're still making the making the picks? I he's a good friend of mine. I trust him to make the picks, you know. Okay. It's pretty pretty vanilla stuff. It's like, you know, low cost index funds. Okay. We, we, we have a, you know, we have a working relationship and he was able to get me. The biggest thing for me is I don't have to think about it. He's like, we're going to return around, you know, X amount a year, pretty consistently. 
And I'll get you, you'll be able to borrow against this account at the prime rate. Normally you have to have a much higher account to get the prime rate. But since he has a, you know, he was able to get me a prime rate that I could borrow against. So it allows me to pull cash from that portfolio and go do real estate deals if I need to. You know, I got out of that 250K that I have there, probably got 60 out right now. I closed on an investment property just last week and my down payment came from that. So do you use that frequently? Not really. You know, I, I was actually going to, I could have paid cash for this investment property, but I'm like, I want to stay a little bit. I mean, can I curse? I'm sorry for it, but I want to keep good. a little bit more cash. I don't know. It's just, it feels right for me the way times are going. I'd rather keep my cash. I borrowed very little against this, this stock account. I have no risk of a margin call. And if I do, I'll throw my cash back in there. But I don't know. It's just kind of investing for me. It's like, I know the basics, but I also kind of got to feel my gut the way things are going in the marketplace. You know what I mean? Yeah, no, I hear you. And, and quite frankly, we just haven't had that many people that have brought up margin. So I, I wouldn't mind diving a little deep if you don't mind on that. So on the on the portfolio, are you able to, to borrow against the whole thing or do you have kind of a stopping point or kind of explain, you know, how you're, how that works, you know, and, and maybe even get into a, what a margin call is because I don't think we've gotten into that very much on the, on the show. Yeah, so... I believe I'm able to borrow up to 70% of the stock's portfolio, right? And I believe 65, 70% of the stock's portfolio. And it's super easy. You could just, I could just transfer my checking account, boom, I have the money right away. Or I, they give you checks for it. Now, you got to be smart with it. You got to be smart because it's debt, right? I mean, it, it's, it's your prime rate today is probably like, I don't know, 7%. So, uh, maybe maybe even higher. I'm not sure. Um, but I only borrow very small amounts. So that way, if the the value of the portfolio, which is let's say 250,000, let's say we have the worst performing month, and that portfolio goes down to 150,000, right? I'm still safe. I'm still not at risk of my margin call because I only pulled out 60. Does that make sense? There's still enough room in there for the portfolio as a whole to keep dropping. Now, I know the index funds in my portfolio, and they ain't going to drop to 150000 Otherwise, the whole market is just simply collapsing. <laughs> so like, you also got to understand what your basket is made up of. Is, is it more volatile stocks? Is it more conservative stocks? Mine is more conservative you know, index funds. It's, it's not very, yeah. very that risky, but I also borrow very little against it. And I also, I only borrow against it to make another money play. I'm not going to borrow against it to, you know, take a trip or buy dumb things. I'm going to borrow against it to make more money. Yeah, for sure. And then the SEP, the, IRA that you have as well and the other money in the market, is that all controlled by you at this point? No, I, I'm not doing self-directed yet. I've thought about it. I feel like I don't have enough substantial enough amount in my SEP and my Roth to really start controlling it. You know what I mean? To do a self-directed one. It's also under my advisor at Wells Fargo. They manage that as well. It's pretty simple SEP and Roth RA. But no, I've thought about doing self-directed, but not a priority right now. As, as a real estate guy, I mean, typically we see people that are you know, hardcore real estate. You work in the industry, you invest heavily in it. Why even play with the market at all? Well, I mean, not all markets work in the same way. Sometimes, you know, sometimes I need a... My issue and what I did for a lot of years, I was really heavy into real estate 
very little into crypto and very little into stocks. And what I would do is I would sell a bunch of real estate, park a bunch of money in my checking account until I find my deal. Problem was that money could be sitting on my account for a year before I found the next juicy real estate deal. So I'm like, instead of having that money sit idle, let me establish a stock portfolio that I could borrow against. Let me diversify with crypto because the more I got educated on crypto and the more I read up on it, the more I'm like, this is this is my home run type of play. I see that as way more risky and I see my real estate as consistent, cash flowing. It's going to pay me every month. It ain't going away. And I'm also, I also take in consideration my age, right? Like I'm, I could afford that risk, right? It's not like I'm older, so... Thanks for thanks for diving into that for us. So I'd love to back up a little bit. How did your financial journey start? Did you know, hey, I'm going to go straight into real estate? Or did you start somewhere else? Did you go to college? Let's reverse a little bit here. Yeah, for sure. So um, I'm a first generation uh, immigrant. My parents moved here from Brazil. And I mean, as long as I could remember, like money was an issue. It was a, it was a problem, you know, like... Um, and my mom cleaned houses, my dad cleaned boats, and we, we couldn't figure out this money thing. So from a young age, I wanted to figure out the money thing. Like who's who's I want to get some of it. Who's got it? And I, you know, I tr- college just wasn't for me. It just wasn't for me. So ventured out of there and moved to Seattle because I felt lost at that time. I'm like, I'm 19. I don't want to go to college. I feel like a loser because I'm not going to college. I don't know what to do. So I moved to Seattle and I did like, I'm a pretty basic guy. Like if I want to learn something, I'm going to go to someone who has that skill and be like, Hey, what are you doing? You know, like as simple as that, not a, not a professor. I'm going to go to someone who has the thing that I want to acquire. And I'm going to ask him how to do it. So moved to Seattle, got into sales. And basically I just chased down a, a mentor for a realtor until one person agreed. They taught me real estate and real estate kind of opened up the doors. You know, my, my first year of real estate, first six months, I didn't sell anything. The next six months, I sold 17, 19 homes, made $150,000, which for me at the time was, whoa, like the most my parents have ever made is maybe $35,000 each. So I'm like, this is crazy. And then from there, I just built a business. You know, the cash flow went up. I, I, I was always, was always thinking of the value of the dollar. You know, I could buy this shirt or I could invest it here and have more tomorrow. So how did your lifestyle change throughout that, that journey? Did you start off saving a lot or were you excited with the money, start spending right away? Kind of walk us through those changes too. You know, it ebbed and flowed. I think now I have much better control of it. My first year when I made that money, I went and got a brand new Tesla in a penthouse right downtown that was gorgeous. And yeah, yeah, you did. I just thought I was on top of the world. But what happened was after about a month and a half, um, I thought I was so focused on where I was going to live, the car that I was going to drive, how I was going to look, that I stopped focusing on my goal of of building a real estate business. So I my income went all the way down to the point where I had to drive uh, Uber on my Tesla. And that was the last time. I said that was the last time I will have cash flow problems. And so from there, I, you know, I was very conservative. I still you know, I still splurge for sure. I bought a $275,000 Rolls Royce six months ago. 
that's stupid. There's no reason, you know, like why somebody needs a car that costs that much money. But it was a splurge that gave me a massive tax write-off, right? That will help me continue building my brand, right? So it, it's, you know, I, I've realized the older I get and the, the you know, the, the more money I acquire that like material things really don't make you that happy. It's kind of an illusion, you know, like the things that really make me happy spending money today is hanging out with my friends, seeing my family, traveling. It doesn't cost a lot of money, you know, so. At what point did you start investing in the market alongside your real estate career? So that started probably about heavily, I would be in and out of the stock stock market, right? All throughout my real estate career. But I've been parked in the market pretty consistently for the last two and a half years for my individual stock account. For the Roth and the SEP, they've been sitting there for a while. But for my individual stock portfolio, I've been consistently building that for the last two and a half years. And before, the mistake that I was making is I would be in and out. So I'll be paying too much taxes. You know, I would keep, I would, I would park, I'll make money in real estate, park it in a stock account, play around with stocks, make some money, pay crazy taxes because I was liquidating it in less than a year to go buy a real estate deal. Now I let the cash sit on the stock portfolio. If I really need cash, I borrow against it and go buy the real estate deal. That way my stock portfolio is still going up. I could still control the real estate deal. That's great. So you, you've really figured out how to, how to minimize tax costs throughout this wealth building process as well. So you mentioned uh, you mentioned you have some some apartment complexes and those are out of state. Do you also have some rental do you have other rental properties uh, where you're living as well or where are all of these properties that you're owning? Yeah, so I have a, a 20 unit portfolio in Clarksville, Tennessee. I have, I'm an LP on a, on a building in Chicago, I believe it's 96 units. So LP stands for limited partner. I own a, a small fraction of that big building. I have a flip that I have going on here in Seattle in the rental property that, that we just acquired last week. And then my primary home, which is the house that I'm in now. So, you know, doors that I own on my own, uh, 23 at the moment, and then I'm an LP on a 96 unit portfolio. Uh, and we have an offer out for a 49 unit portfolio south of Dallas, but that's being purchased under a fund. So essentially a business that I formed, it's not going to be a hundred percent. And what made you decide to, uh, to have these rental properties outside of your primary state that you're living in? Has that been a problem? Is it easy to do and manage? Yeah, great question. So I think the advice I give most people is start where you live because if you're just starting out, you're going to be too scared going out of state. I was in real estate and I was scared of going out of state for like five years because when you're going out of state, you have to run it like an actual business. You have to analyze that property like an actual business. You have to interview the property manager like an actual business and you have to keep the property manager accountable like an actual business. When a property is in your area, you could kind of, I'll go check on the tenants. I'll fix that myself, right? So start where you live because otherwise you never start. But once you have a few rentals and you get a, a, a hold of it, a grasp of it, you're like, I could kind of do this anyway. And the reason I chose to go out of state 
is a few reasons. I'm in Seattle. Landlord tenant laws in Seattle are getting very difficult for the landlord. So, you know, I, I, I don't want to deal with that. So that's number one reason. The second reason is there's two types of real estate markets. There's appreciation markets where the value of the asset goes up substantially. Seattle is one of those markets. The average national appreciation here is 6%. It's pretty high. Now, the cash flow, which is the monthly drip that I pay my bills with, that I pay for the, for the car, for the trip and everything else, my cash flow in Seattle is not that great. It's not a great cash flow area. So I went to a market where it's the opposite. The, the cash flow is amazing. So I went to a market where, where the cash flow is amazing and the appreciation is not that great. So the cash flow in, in, in Clarksville, Tennessee is is amazing. My monthly cash flow is anywhere from 13 to 15K a month, you know, and that that's just, and it goes up every year because rents go up every year. And that requires zero. I mean, I check in with the property manager once a quarter, you know, but I knew what I was doing. I was confident. I knew how to do my due diligence. And that takes doing a lot of deals in order for you to get confidence. There's no shortcut. You know, you got to do the work to, to get, get the skill. So... And that property in Clarksville, you said nets 13 to 15 a month? 13 to 15 a month, yeah, after property manager, uh, taxes, insurance, uh, everything else. You're nice. Anywhere from you know, 12, 15, yeah. I also have a crazy low interest rate, so that, you know, like a lot, of the deals, <laughs> yeah, a lot of the deals that I'm underwriting now, you know, it's tough to get these properties to cash flow with seven and a half percent. You got to get creative. You know, you could still find deals, but you got to get creative now. You know. Yeah, for sure. Today's episode is supported by Masterclass. Masterclass makes a meaningful gift this season for you and anyone on your list because both of you can learn from the best to become your best, from leadership to effective commu communication to cooking. Whether you're watching Masterclass on TV, listening in audio mode, in the app, or on their site, the quality speaks for itself. It's like Masterclass instructors are your own personal mentors that are going to help you to reach the next level. How much would you would it cost to take one-on-one -on -one classes from the world's best? Easily hundreds to thousands of dollars. With Masterclass annual memberships, it's $10 a month. Memberships start at $120 per year for unlimited access to one-on-one -on -one classes with all 180 plus Masterclass instructors. Learn how to negotiate a raise with Chris Foss or manage your relationships with Esther Perel. I'm a huge fan of Masterclass. In fact, I've taken several classes myself and continue to do so. Masterclass has been instrumental in helping me in so many aspects of my life and areas. In fact, one of the, one of the great things about Masterclass is once you take a class and you like it so much, you can go back and take it again. It's awesome. By supporting our sponsors, you are supporting the show. Visit masterclass.com slash unveiled and get one free annual membership when you give one free annual membership this holiday season. Once again, that's masterclass.com slash unveiled. And thanks again to Masterclass for supporting today's episode. So I want to go back to a couple of things real quick. One, we got to talk about this Rolls Royce. But before we get to that, the crypto, when did you start investing in crypto and how did you kind of go about to, to get to the point where you've got several hundred thousand dollars in crypto now? Man, this story is it's kind of crazy. I remember I was I was 21 years old and I was doing an internship in Naples, Florida, I was working for this. I had already moved to Seattle and my best friend, whose name is Matt, he's like, dude, you got to come back. I met this guy who's older guy. He's going to teach us how to trade Forex, how to trade currencies. 
This guy is the real deal. You got to move back for a few months. We're all going to live in a house together and we're going to figure out how to trade Forex. Well, I moved, I went, moved back to Florida, quit my job, went back to Florida, did this for about five months and did a maiden month. <laughs> but what I did learn, <laughs> what I did learn that was super useful is I actually learned how to read technical analysis really well, how to better understand markets and how to understand consumer sentiment behind the market. I did get some skills out of it, but right around that time I was dead broke and I'm I'm working at this doctor's office for like $12 an hour part-time just to make some money. And I have came across a uh, Bitcoin and I was listening to this podcast. I was like, this is the perfect, this makes perfect sense. You know, when I was young at the time, Bitcoin was like nothing. I'm talking about like not even dollars, like cents. And I went back home and I tried to figure out how to buy it, but I suck with computers. And back then it wasn't like there was like Coinbase where you press the button and you're like, okay, I got Bitcoin. But I understood the idea, you know, I'm like, this makes sense. Couldn't buy the damn thing. I gave up. Long story short, my best friend calls me maybe three years later and he goes, dude, Bitcoin, I'm mining it. And uh, that's when I first entered the market, which was, I believe it was 2016, 2015. So it was still low. I think I probably paid, I don't know, Coinbase could tell me, but I probably paid like three to 4K per Bitcoin. You know, and I, I bought quite a few and I, I bought it and just kind of forgot about it. You know, I didn't think about it too much. I bought some Ethereum as well. And then probably about uh, during COVID, actually, when COVID happened, I went down the rabbit hole and I read every, I mean, there's some books back here that they're even on it where I read every book I could find on the history of money and, and Bitcoin and cryptocurrency. And I was like, oh, this makes perfect sense. Like, I think the US dollar will, they got to figure something out, dude. <laughs> you know, like he, it's, you know, we, we switch from, from, from dollar being backed by gold. I think what's going to happen is we're going to take away the dollar altogether and it's going to, it's, it's going to, it's going to come to a digital currency that, you know, these, the federal government's already working on building. You know, that's going to be the transition. Hey, no more dollars, no more bank accounts. You have a digital currency now. But yeah, so, the more I got into it, the more I understood it, the more I invested. And I have a reoccurring deposit on Bitcoin and Ethereum every week and it just goes. And think about it. So you're still continuing to invest in it then? 100%. I, I have a reoccurring deposit for my stock account, for my Bitcoin account, for my Ethereum account. It just goes every week. And like this is the biggest piece of advice anyone listening to this should do today. Put $10. It doesn't matter. You just have to have it automatically go to where you don't think about it. My, I'm, like, my money just goes. My my bank account is I'm always low on cash. I can't afford to do anything because I'm busy. I'm, 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 I'm buying assets, you know, like it just goes. I, I, it disperses to assets, you know? So yeah. Can't afford to buy anything except for a Rolls Royce. So tell me about the Rolls Royce, man. Building the brand. What what led you to do that other than getting the massive, you know, tax deduction for I'm assuming hundred percent depreciation last year. Is that correct? Percent depreciation and and that was I would like to say that's the primary cause, but the primary cause is I just wanted a Rolls Royce, dude. You know, those stars are really nice. <laughs> so like you get the stars and I'm like, I want one of these. Uh but the secondary reason is yeah, I got to de depreciate the whole car. What had actually happened was I was trying to buy a development deal. I got in contract right around April of last year. We were going to tear down this home and build four rural townhomes. Got in contract. Oh, good. We're set to close a few months out. I got in contract. Rates were maybe 
fives. This deal took longer. Then rates became seven. As sellers started being a pain, development deal wasn't looking as good. The numbers weren't penciling out. I had to walk away from the deal. I had a partner on it. We each lost 25,000 bucks. I get hurt. But most importantly, that deal was going to be my big depreciation for the year. Every year, I have to find something to lower my taxable income because otherwise Uncle Sam just takes all my damn money. Uh, so I needed write-offs, man. So that deal was going to be my write-off. That deal fell apart. And, you know, I'm talking to my my uh, accountant who's amazing right around November. And I'm like, dude, you know, like, what, what, what are my options here? And I was like, what if I buy a car? He's like, well, you know, technically, yeah. Is it a work vehicle? 100%. I'm working all the time. <laughs> I am working. Uh, So yeah, we, you know, made sense about it for 275,000. I think I put like 50,000 bucks down. I financed it over uh, a 96 month period and I got to write the whole thing up. So yeah, it's, uh, and now I believe they lower that to 80% of the vehicle's cost. So. Well, I I think Jason, I need to go check out some homes in the Seattle area. It sounds like, and and I think you need to show us around. Around anytime, just give me a call. Do right around oh, style. Yeah. That's awesome. Yeah. I love it. So is that a daily driver? You still have the Tesla? No, so the Tesla is long gone. That was years ago. I have a daily ri- daily driver that's a Range Rover. And then the Rose, you know, just kind of special occasions and, uh, you know, the certain, and, and it gets to a point where uh, my whole idea behind it is, you know, there's a car club here. I wanted to get involved in that. You know, that's a good way for me to network and meet other successful entrepreneurs who drive cool cars. And uh, it is all by the tax code. You know, I read the law. That's the law. I'm like, cool. I didn't write it. Let's roll. So. I do think it's interesting. I do think it's interesting that there comes a point that spending more money can be advantageous because of the network that can come with it. Something like a country club membership, being a part of this car collectors club or whatnot, uh, you can really use it to your advantage, even though your your younger self that has less money is thinking, oh, that, that seems like that'd be a huge waste of money. But at this point, it's an investment. It, it's it's interesting because I, I feel like you get to a certain level where there's no way for you to grow unless you pay for certain things and pay for access. I truly feel like that. And and, and that's like, I feel like money is just energy exchange. You know what I mean? Like it's, we, we attach too much. I I know from experience, because I know when I was broke, I attached too much emotional attachment to it. You know, it's just energy exchange. It's, it's value exchange. So yeah, I think like I have, I have mentor, I have a group that I'm part of. They gave me this little shoe, right? They teach you how to build funds, how to build a, a hedge fund or a real estate fund or any type of funds. Super helpful. I, I mean, I'm immensely grateful to these group of guys. I met some amazing people. I paid $35,000 for a one-year membership. It was worth every single penny, you know, just for the people that I met, the things that I learned. So I'm a, I'm a big fan of reinvesting and, and, and uh, you know, getting around better people, better environments. I, I think it's... Think it's worth it if you're doing it with the right intention. Are you planning on starting a fund with what you learned from that group? We started a fund. We're official. It's called LK Capital. Uh, we have a LOI, a letter of intent out uh, for the 40, 49 unit that's south of, of Dallas that I talked to you about. I was on the phone today with the lender. Um, so yeah, we, me and my business partner, Kurt. I mean, this is, you got to understand, like this is coming from somebody who I barely graduated high school. 
You know what I mean? Like I, I, I never saw myself as smart for the last two years. When I got into this fun space, I was intimidated, you know? Um, but, but it just goes to show, I mean, you put your head down, you, 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 you stick to something long enough. You, you look for the right mentors, you do the work, you, you could achieve anything, you know? So, yeah. Well, I think that pairs perfectly with that American dream flag you've got right behind your, your head <laughs> on, on our video. So what's the, what's the mark now? What's the goal? Um, okay. So our yearly goals, I've reached one of them. We're still working on the other two. Really the, the, the big picture here is uh, continue to scale the real estate business. Uh, we're in Seattle market. We're hiring, you know, we're, we're, we're bringing people on. I want to continue scaling that business. And really the primary focus is the real estate fund. And the real estate fund is, you know, we, we raise money from accredited investors and go out and outperform the market, you know, and uh, yeah, so that's that's really the primary focus. And I do some consulting on the side as well. That's that's something I picked up. That's really being enjoyable because you. I feel like I get to give back. I get I get I get to give back in a way. I get to transcend the l- tough lessons that I learned, you know. And and for for a lot of these guys that are starting out in real estate, that are starting out investing, uh, they find it super helpful. So yeah, that's been enjoyable. How did you meet your partner in that fund? Yeah, great question. So Kurt Yazasi is one of my best friends, man. We, the reason I got into real estate, he's older than me and I've always kind of looked up to him. He was always a super sharp put together. You know, when I was just starting out my career, he was doing fantastic with his own business. And, and he's the one that's recommended I don't get into real estate. Cause he's like, Oh man, so competitive, dude. I used to work at Zillow. Like the competition is just like, there's so many realtors and they're all like the good ones are already established. And that was, and I'm the type of guy that like, I need like someone to be like, ah, you can't do it. I'm like, Oh, okay. So he kind of nudged me into real estate in that way. And, and I built an amazing real estate business and you know, I, I, as I was building the business, I'm buying buildings for myself. And I'm like, man, I, I had clients asking me, can I invest with you? And I'm like, I don't know. Can you? I don't know how that, how that works. Like I had team members that are like, hey, let me invest with you. I'm like, I don't know how that works, dude. So that's the basically the idea of a fund, a group of people coming together and buying a building. So uh, when I started doing that, Kurt reached out. And he's like, dude, you know, I'm thinking I'm, I'm getting out of my current business and looking for for my next venture. And I'm like, come do this fun thing with me. And it's such a perfect matchup. I couldn't have dreamed it any better. I'm a I'm a I run fast, dude. I just go, you know, like I'm going and he is operations like ninja systems and processes for everything. It's so organized and so structured and very analytical so it's the perfect matchup and I'm very, very grateful for him. So nice. So target net worth down the road, anything that, that you number of doors or anything that y'all are, are trying to hit or you personally, man, I got, I, I have, I have, I am very confident I'm 31 today. I'm very confident that by the time I'm, I'm, 36, 37. My whole thing right now is like, I, I, my next stage, I see it in brackets. The money and number doesn't necessarily like amp me up. Like, for example, when I was broke, I dreamed myself driving a nice car, having my own place in Seattle. That's all I want. I got that. Then I, I envisioned myself having a nice house, a Rolls Royce, and having enough money to travel and do whatever they want. Now my vision is like, I want to fly private. I want to call, I want to call someone and be like, get this plane ready for me. I'm driving to the airport. 
all my friends were going goodbye. And in order to do that, like from what I researched, like your net worth has got to be around 40 million in order for you to do that comfortably. So I would like to see 40 mil by the time I'm 40. I think that's doable. I think I'm coming across, you know, my income grows every year, but also I feel like the ventures I'm getting into are also bringing in more money. Like the the deals that I'm doing in the last few years bring in a lot more money than the deals that I did at the start because I'm more knowledgeable and skilled. Uh, So I'll, I'll, that'll be cool if I could have 40, if I'm fine private by the time I'm 40, while I still got hair, I think I'll be happy. Well, I think some, (laughs) a happy birthday is in order. And I want you to know that I, my toxic trait is that I have to sing the entire happy birthday song when it's someone's birthday and I'm not going to do it. I'm not going to do it on the show right now, but know in my heart, I want to. And secondly, it sounds like we need to have you back in nine years for the $40 million holler, and that'll be fun. <laughs> I like that. The $40 million holler. Oh, that's a good one. I'm going to take that one home. There yeah, you go. That'll be awesome. Well, let's wrap up with some rapid fire questions. What's the most expensive pair of shoes that you purchased? I bought some uh, Red Bottoms, Christian Louis Boutin, whatever. I don't even know how to pronounce it. Louboutin, <laughs> I think, is what they tell me. Yeah, we're going we're gonna to educate you here. Louboutin. <laughs> I don't own any myself, but I don't know how to pronounce I'm foreign, so excuse me. Uh, but yeah, I, I probably spent twelve hundred bucks on those. I was in I was in Rome and just felt right. So <laughs> I love it, man. Okay. <laughs> what about the most expensive meal out that you've paid for? Most expensive meal out. Oh boy. Like I mean, I've picked up dinner for a big crowd, like an individual meal or like the, the whole crew. Whatever, you know? yeah. I probably spent like a good like seven G. I, I we're going to a Drake concert where I'm hosting it for my team and everything. He's coming to Seattle, I'm a big Drake fan. That costs thirteen G's, you know, pricey. And I but I'm hosting everyone, so yeah. Is that the most expensive experience or trip? Or would that feel fit under that for you that well trip or experience uh that's up there i mean i've done tables in vegas and stupid stuff like that you know where (laughs) you know me a couple of group of friends like spend 20k on a table to see some big artists and uh you know yeah like it's for this, it's for the business, technically. You know, it's a, it's a business event. So, uh, but yeah, I don't know, probably somewhere in there, 13, 15. The Europe trip that I went on was pretty pricey. You know, we did some damage there. So. Definitely buying shoes at 1200 right? That'll that'll help you quick. Yeah, we, we, we did, did some damage. But at the same time, like, I work so much and I love what I do. You know, I work all year long. I'm a workhorse. That's what I do. So like, you know, I wanted to take my girlfriend on a nice trip. We were gone for two and a half weeks. We did whatever she wanted, you know. Know, like bought whatever, ate whatever, let's do it, baby. You know, like, but if it's up to me, dude, like I like working, <laughs> you know, like. Awesome. What's a key lesson that you learned from childhood? Key lesson that I learned from childhood, never be a victim, you know, never be a victim. Uh, what, whatever you're going through, whatever challenges you have, whatever happened to you, you know, stand tall, put your chest out, shoulders back and handle business, never be a victim. Because I think when you're a victim, you give your power. And, and if you take ownership of reality and, and how powerful you truly are, you can do anything regardless of what you have done or what has been done to you. So Awesome. What's the uh, craziest thing you've ever done to earn money? Craziest thing I've ever done <laughs> to earn money? And I don't know. I, mean, I got, I, I have no idea. I sold newspapers. That was actually my first job. I went door to door after football practice. They would pick me and a few kids up. And it was in Florida, 100 degree weather. They would drop us off in the neighborhood. We knock on each door and ask them if they want to buy a year long subscription of Naples Daily News. And the commission was like garbage, dude. And it was hot. 
and this dude Paul would just leave us out there for hours. You know, he wouldn't let us back in the van, and we're like, Paul, we're calling him. Where are you? It's so hot. So yeah, that was my first job. That sucked. You know. Um, yeah, I think that's probably. I've never done you know much crazy for money. Never, never done anything illegal for it. You know. <laughs> Not and here. if you did, this is not the place to share it. <laughs> I have no shame. If I did, I would tell you 100%. Yeah. <laughs> Actually, I sold cheap picks. <laughs> uh, you'd be surprised some of the answers we've been getting. It's been good. Really? It's getting oh, spicy. Yeah. Oh, wow. Yeah, yeah, you have to listen. I got some good ones coming up. Some good answers really? on this one. Okay. Oh, yeah. Uh, what's <laughs> what's the most fun that you've ever had with money? Most fun I've ever had with money, man. Honestly, like if I'm, it's the simple things, dude. You know, like it, it's being able to spend like the luxury of really being. I just came back from Florida. I took my nieces to Disney. Took my dad. Took my sister. Spent the day with my dad, hanging out. My nieces went to Disney with my girlfriend. Uh, took my mom out to to you know, a nice day, like things like that. You know what I mean? Like that, that's, that's the sweet stuff. You know, I've done some extravagant things as well, like crazy traveling, crazy, but you know, the older I get, the more like relationships and investing into the people around me is, is the most rewarding thing. So what's a closely held belief that you once had that you recently changed your mind on? Recently, I mean, I changed my mind all the time, but something related to money, you know, I used for years, I used to think that saving money is the way to wealth. And and like whenever I stopped thinking that way, that's when I started becoming wealthy, I feel like. You, you can't save your way into really rich. You know, that was an illusion that I thought if I was just super frugal all the time and just stash all my money away in a bank account, that that would solve the problem. And it it, it, it doesn't. I learned that like, you got to play this, like the, the, Debt is the name of the game. You know what I mean? Like that's why every every major corporation has a ton of it. That's why the U.S. government has trillions of it. You know, debt is the name of the game if you know how to use it. How do you get ahead in life? You you have to reconstruct your habits and patterns. Your habits are things that you do on a daily basis, a lot of the times unaware, like your daily routine. You know what I mean? Human beings are very repetitive. If a smoker smokes, he's going to wake up at this time and have his cigarette. He has the habit of doing this and whatever the case is, you have to look at your habits and you got to change those. And if you create better habits, better habits that, that you repeat day in, day out, you will reach wherever you're trying to reach, you know? And then the second part of it is you have to be aware of your internal dialogue and, and, and the story, the internal story you're telling yourself, right? So th those two things, if you really take the time just to reconstruct it and you're like, okay, what am I doing every day? And if I continue doing this five years down the road, will I get to my goal? If your goal is to be a real estate investor and you have nothing related to that, well, you're not. That's a fact. So reconstructing those daily habits to where it serves your long-term vision and then having a, a, a positive internal or trying to have a positive internal dialogue with yourself, which that's another beast in itself. You know what I mean? But, but yeah, so that's the long-winded answer. Any final pieces of advice for somebody who's just starting out? Find a mentor, figure out what you want. You know, like if you're trying to get in shape, 
great. Go find somebody who's in great shape uh, and, you know, make sure that's if you're trying to make money, go find somebody who has money, verify that they actually have money, you know, check with trust, verify, hey, are they the real deal? Cross-reference them. If they are, ask them to mentor you, ask for help. So I think that's the shortcut for whatever you're trying to, you know. Awesome. That's Lucas with a net worth of of 2.3 million. Thanks for coming to the show today. Thanks for having me. Appreciate you guys. Thanks for listening to the Millionaires Unveiled podcast with Jace Mattinson. For more stories, investment opportunities, and information, check out our website, millionairesunveiled.com. See you next time when you'll hear from another everyday millionaire.